Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Well, good morning. Uh, It's a delight to be with you here again uh, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, For those who maybe don't know who who I am, my name is Paul Wagler and my wife Angie down here uh, is, we are just delighted to be with you. Uh, We were here, had the privilege of being here uh, several times in 2022. And uh, so we just have always appreciated the warm welcome and the wonderful spirit that is about this place and what God is doing here and uh, counted a real honor to have the option or the not the option the the opportunity that's the word I'm looking for the opportunity to open God's word with you and in some small way to be a part of what God is doing here to encourage you and that through our time here we can all be strengthened in our faith Um, we uh, uh, had kind of a difficult 2022 in some ways. We, uh, we lost a few dear friends. Uh, and, and in that process, um, last summer, when uh, one of our closest friends, his name was Don, passed away after a short journey with cancer, uh, as he was kind of leading into that or got the news that he had cancer and his health started to fail, I was, I was feeling like... Um, uh, you know, I love God's word, and, and so I was like, oh, I should, I should send Don a text message every day with a scripture. And so, so I started that uh, in, sometime in July, uh, shortly after he, he got the word that he has cancer. And I started sending Don a, a scripture. I just kind of say, Lord, what should I send him today? And it's kind of a, I just found great delight in this. It's a fun process, you know, because you're, you're intentionally thinking of how you can bless someone else, right? And so, and using God's word is just a wonderful way to do that. And so, so I'd send Don this scripture and I, and I would attach a short little prayer or, or some little encouraging um, phrase that came to me to go with the scripture and and so that kind of went on for a number of days and then I, I thought well I'm sending this to Don and he's he's really being encouraged and he was finding blessing in it and so so through that process uh, we started posting these scriptures uh, daily uh, on August 1st on our Arise Now that's the ministry that Angie and I have our Arise Now Facebook page and so so I'm sharing that with you to encourage you that if you're on Facebook and you want some daily encouragement, check out Arise Now, go to our page, uh, like the page, follow the page, whatever you have to do, and, uh, and check out the daily scripture that we post there with a little prayer, and I trust that it will bring encouragement to you. And so, so I wanted to share one more thing about my friend Don, and Don was a, a fella who, who loved to tell stories. Uh, in fact, I, I, I would say that I've never met anyone who felt like he remembered every single thing that ever happened in his life. Because whenever we were talking, he had some life event 
from way back often <laughs> that he would bring in that fit with what was going on. And, and I spent enough time with him that I heard many of the same stories over and over. And, and he also had a good sense of humor and loved to tell jokes. And so a number of those I heard over and over. And so in honor of my friend Don this morning, I am going to share a joke with you that he used to tell. And uh, because it's about a pastor, and my friend Don was uh, in ministry for his whole adult life, uh, we're going to insert Don into the joke because he would like that, okay? So, so the story goes like this. Uh, Don was pastoring at a church, and one Sunday, uh, someone showed up at that church for the first time. And they came into the church, and they're looking around, and they're, they're starting to feel a bit nervous about maybe how long the service is going to be. So they, they look around, and they find someone who looks like, like maybe they're a regular, like they, they would come here often. And so they go up to them, and they say, Excuse me, I, I'm new here. I'm just a little nervous, but I'm wondering, is your pastor long-winded? And then the, the person says, well, they get kind of this funny smirk on their face, and, and they say, well, there's something that you should know about Pastor Don. Pastor Don may be long, but he's never winded. So I feel like that's kind of a risky joke to tell right before I'm about to preach a sermon, but I just want to say I trust that this morning I will be neither long nor winded, but everything will be said in just the right amount of time. So this passage in Hebrews, uh, oh, I wanted to say one more thing before I said about Hebrews. So we have a website, arisenow.ca. If you want to know more about what we do, you can go there and check that out. And uh, all the information is there. I love this passage in Hebrews, and I've entitled this message this morning, Living with Confidence. And uh, these scriptures I have committed to memory a number of years ago, and I have rarely preached from this passage. So this week, as I was pondering and asking the Lord, what would he have me bring as a message to you here this morning? And I, and I felt drawn to this passage, and I felt things being stirred up within me. I was, I was getting a lot of excitement because it's like, I love this passage. There's so many good things in it. And so I invite you into this journey with me. And I, if you have your Bibles, please follow along. If, you're, if you take notes, please write down scriptures. I'm going to give you a lot of other scriptures to, to think about and to ponder and to meditate on besides the ones that are right in this, in this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. But before we dive into it, I just want to pray. I want to say, Father, we come and we just commit this time to you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, would be upon each and every one of us that is under the sound of my voice. Those who are li listening in this ro room, those who are watching online, and those who will watch a replay later or listen to a podcast later. May everyone experience you, Holy Spirit, bringing revelation and understanding into their lives through these verses that we look at today in your living word in just the way that they need it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage that we, uh, 
we're looking at in Hebrews 10 starts off by, by the, the Lord announcing that he is going to make a covenant with his people. And it is a new covenant because there was an old covenant. You know, in the Bible, we have what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it could be in, uh, said in a different way. It could be said old covenant and new covenant. And so, so I think to fully understand what, what is what the, the writer of Hebrews is writing about here when he starts in verse 16 saying, I will make, the Lord says, I will make a covenant with my people after that time. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I think I got that backwards. I will put my law in their hearts and write it on their minds. Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. So, so, so this is a new covenant that God is announcing that he is wanting to make with his people. And I think to fully understand what is happening in the new covenant, we need to reflect back a wee bit on the old covenant. So let's just go right back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. It says in Hebrews 10, verse 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. For this reason, the law can never make perfect those who draw near in worship. Because there's sacrifices that were being made endlessly year after year. And so the law was limited. And, and then we follow through in the verses that we didn't read in Hebrews chapter 10. And, and, and there's description about what the priest used to do, how he, how he used to regularly go in and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And then how Jesus came and once and for all was the perfect sacrifice. In fact, it declares in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, that by one sacrifice, he is forever making perfect those, or he's forever made perfect those who are being made holy. I want us just to think a wee bit about that phrase in Hebrews 10 where it says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. Paul uses that phrase in, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where he says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or by a, with religious festivals, new moon celebrations, or Sabbath days. Then he says in verse 17, These are only a shadow of the good things that are coming. The reality is found in Christ. And so let's think about a shadow for a minute. A shadow is, is an image of a real thing. And, and I was thinking about, um, you know, someone that you love, right? I was thinking about, in my case, I love my wife, Angie. I love being with her in person and talking with her and, and you know, where we can reach out and touch each other. But let's say I'm standing around a corner from Angie and the light is shining on her in a certain way so that I can see her shadow, but I can't see her as a person. And so it seems kind of silly. Well, I would just want to go around the corner and, and engage with her in real life and, and touch her and, and, and speak directly to her instead of just relating to the shadow, which indicates that, it's, that she's there. But, but if we're just relating to the shadow, we're missing out the rea on the reality of all that we could experience. And so, so much of the New Testament, Paul, in his writings, he's, he's talking to people, and, and, and you know, it, it's important to understand how important the law was in these people's lives, and how, how their whole religious uh, uh, experience and their, their uh, attempts to follow God and to please Him 
was all based around all of the, what was written. In, in the Old Testament, there were like 613 laws that the people had to follow. And, and you know, their, their experience could be summed up in this verse, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 25. It says that if we are careful to obey all of these commands that the Lord has given us, this will be our righteousness. And so they were working hard to obey all of these commands that were given in the law. And then that would be their righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, it's right standing before God. But the problem with the law is that when it was given, it gave a standard for how we should live. And we just realized how, how much we fell short of it each and every day. Paul says in Romans 5.13, he says, before the law was given, sin was already in the world. And where there is no law, sin is not taken into account. Okay? But there was already sin, but people weren't aware of it. But then the law came, and it gave a standard, and then they realized how far they fell short. And then he says in Romans 5.20, he says, the law was given so that the trespass might increase. So the law made us aware of our shortcomings. And it was a shadow of what was coming. The reality, however, was going to be found in Jesus. And so Paul, in, in, when he writes in the New Testament things like to the, to the, the, the church at Galatia, where he says in, in Galatians chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You know, you started off so well, you were living by the Spirit, but now you're going back to wanting to live under the law. And I feel like you could sum all that up by saying, Paul is saying, stop living in the shadows. He says in Romans 14, verse 17, he says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I, I paraphrase that verse to say simply this, the kingdom of God is not about rules and regulations, but about relationship. And Paul is saying to the Roman church, he's saying, stop living in the shadows. And the message is still for us today. Stop living in the shadows. There's a new covenant that God has made with his people, and it's not about rules and regulations. It's about Jesus and what he has done. And you know, I realized in my life that, that um, I grew up in a in a, in a, on a farm, in a, in a hard-working family, and I learned the value of hard work at a young age. And that is a, a wonderful gift and something that I'm thankful for. But I realized that in the midst of that, uh, the understanding of this came to me as a young adult in my 20s, was that I had my, a lot of my value as a person and my sense of identity was dependent upon my performance and upon how well I did or how much work I got done. And then that, in the natural, carried over into my relationship with God. It's like, well, I got to earn my way. I got to do more. And it's living in the shadows. Because the message of this covenant that, Paul, that the writer of Hebrews is declaring here in chapter 10 is that our sins 
and our lawless acts will be remembered no more. And then it says, where these have been forgiven, a sacrifice for sins is no longer needed. So the first thing we want to highlight in this passage is that there is a covenant. A covenant that God is making with His people. A covenant is a binding agreement. And the thing about God making a covenant with you and I is that He is always going to keep up His end of the bargain. Sometimes, you know, uh, you know we talk about a marriage covenant and, and we all know of, of people where, that have had marriage covenants that have not lasted. And so sometimes we can think, well, maybe God's covenant with us won't last. Well, God is always faithful and He can never break His word. So we can count on that. We can rely on that. A new covenant He has made with us. Then we go on in um, verse 19, I think it is. And he says, the writer of the Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So, so this is a, a, a radical concept for us, but for the people that this letter was being written to, it is extremely radical. Let me explain. So he says that we can have confidence to enter the most holy place. What was the most holy place? The most holy place was a part of the temple that was covered and sealed off with a huge curtain. Now, I was doing some reading and some research, and, and I'd like to say I know I could tell you exactly how big this curtain is, but there's different opinions out there as to the measurement, but it's really big. Some say it's like 60 feet high and 30 feet wide, and it's, it's probably the, the, uh, the depth, the thickness of it is, is the width of a man's hand, so about maybe four inches. This curtain totally sealed off all light to the most holy place. It was just completely dark, and no one ever went in there except once a year. The priest would go in to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people before God. So imagine in this church here, in this building, if there was a room off the back here somewhere that had a huge curtain over it and nobody ever went in there except once a year, one of your leaders would go in and offer prayers and sacrifices on your behalf. Like that would be People would be like, oh, you'd just be in all that place. And then the interesting thing is that the priest had to make sure he followed every letter of the law to the detail because if he didn't, when he went in, he would probably be struck down and die. So he would not go in with confidence. He would go in with fear and trepidation. So I, I, I tell you all of that to help you understand how radical this is when the writer of the Hebrews says, therefore, since we have confidence, it's not saying you should have confidence, it's saying you have confidence to enter the most holy place. So this big curtain. When Jesus died, Matthew 27, 50, it tells us that Jesus passed away. He drew his last breath while he's hanging on the cross. Matthew 27, 51 tells us the temple 
curtain, this curtain that was potentially 60 feet high by 30 feet wide and four inches thick. I read something that said, said two horses pulling on either end of this curtain could not do anything to it. It was that strong. Well, that curtain, when Jesus passed away, it tells us in Matthew 27, 51 and in the other Gospels as well, that it was tore in two from top to bottom. Creating a way for all of us to come in to the holy place or the most holy place. This is the new covenant that God has made with his people. We don't need anybody else to go in on our behalf. Jesus did it for us. So now we can have confidence. What is confidence? It's a certainty. In a couple, um, in verse 22, I think it says, we can, we can come before God in full assurance of faith. Wow. I don't know about you, but there's, this is not how I've always viewed approaching God. And, and you know, this is not coming in my own arrogance and in my own pride. Because anyone who comes to the foot of the cross does not come standing up. We come on our knees, bowing and realizing that we are in desperate need of a Savior. And then we get a revelation of what Jesus has done for us by his death on the cross. And he is being the perfect sacrifice for your sins and for mine. And he has made a way then for us to enter into this holy, most holy place with confidence, in full assurance of faith. It's all 100% because of what Jesus has done. It doesn't depend one ounce upon your goodness or my goodness or my right actions. All we need to do is believe. Is believe. In full assurance of faith, we come. So we have a covenant. We have confidence. And then it says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we'll call this the cleansing. I think we're all, or probably many of you, maybe all of you are familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba in the Old Testament, where King David sees a woman bathing from his balcony, and, uh, and then he invites her up, and, and he sleeps with her, she becomes pregnant, and he has her husband killed. And I mean, the story is horrible. But I'd say all that to say this. In Psalm 51, we have the cry of David's heart as he's coming to grips with his sin and confessing it before God. And there's times in my life where, where I've been saddened by the choices I've made and the sin in my life. And I, and I read Psalm 51, not as David's prayer to God, but as my prayer to God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me from my sin. Blot out all my iniquity. For I know my sin and my, sin or my transgressions are always before me. And then I love verse 7. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. The next time... You're standing out in a field of perfectly, freshly fallen snow. Think about this verse. 
that the sins and the, and the evil things that you and I have done where we have brought hurt to God and we have brought uh, a hurt and pain to others because of our actions. When we come to God, as it says in 1 John 1, 9, that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we become whiter than that snow. I mean, how do you become whiter than snow? Like, it's just so white. <laughs> this is the promise of Scripture. The cleansing that is ours when we come to God and confess our sins before Him. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. So we have a covenant, we have confidence, we have cleansing. Then in verse 23, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for He who promised is faithful. So I want to say that this is consistency. This is consistency. And it's interesting that uh, it was highlighted here this morning by Diane that one of the things the leadership of the church discerned is that we're having some, some struggles, some battles with distractions. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, which says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, sometimes I feel like in life, the, the picture that comes to me is, a, is that I'm walking down a street and, and there's, a, there's houses on every side, on both sides of the street and there's people standing in the doorways and the windows of the houses and they're yelling at me and they're throwing things at me and they're, and they're trying to get my attention. They're distracting me. And the challenge for you and I in that situation is, are we going to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess? Are we going to fix our eyes on Jesus and not be distracted by everything around us? And we live in an age, probably more so than ever, that it is, is possible to be distracted. It comes at us from every angle and every time we take our phones out of our pockets. But what is being written about here is a consistency. Is that we will, we will not be swerving all over the place, but we will be focused and we will, we will stick with the path. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 to 27, it says this. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make straight paths for your feet. Take only ways that are firm. Then in verse 27, it says, do not swerve to the left, or it doesn't say swerve, it says turn. Do not turn to the left or the right and keep your feet from evil. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. What is hope? Hope is a, is a joyful, confident expectation of something good. And nobody in this world should be more hopeful than a follower of Jesus. We have the best hope, a living hope, as Peter writes about in first chapter of his uh, first Peter, chapter one, verse three. 
So let us hold unswervingly to that hope that we profess because Jesus is faithful and he promised. So we have a covenant, we have a confidence, we have a cleansing, we have a consistency. And then we come to verse 24, which is one of my most favorite verses in the whole Bible. Let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So in this verse, we have a considering. What is considering? If, if, you're, if you're considering something, what are you doing? Well, you're thinking about it. And if you're going to consider, if you and I are going to consider how we can spur other people on towards loving good deeds, we're going to plan for it. We're going to be intentional about it. Some other translations uh, in this, in this uh, verse use the word, uh, uh, so NIV says spur one another on. Um, the, I think the King James says provoke, provoke one another. You know, sometimes we think of provoking one another in a negative way, but there can be a positive provoking. Another translation says, stir up each other. And so, so I was pondering this whole idea of, of, of being provoked and stirred up and spurred on. And, and so a few things come to mind. One is, I grew up on a farm. And so we had dairy cattle. And they didn't always want to go where we wanted them to go. So we helped them get there. Right? You know, we, we had cattle prodders, we had sticks, and, 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 and you know, there's shockers for, like, for, for pigs and other animals. You know, you, you, you spur them on. Like when a, when a cowboy uh, rides a horse, they, you know, I've never done this, but they have apparently would sometimes have spurs on their boots, and they, you know, they spur the horse to get them going. So this is sort of the imagery. And so I was thinking about my own life and about the encouragement and the, the spurring and the provoking and the stirring up that has happened in me because of others. And, and you know, thinking from, from being a little boy on up to now, and I could think of over and over and over again of times when someone has, has encouraged me, someone has stirred me up, someone has provoked me, and the end result of it was that I was spurred on towards love and good deeds. This happened, you know, in my home, my parents, my siblings. It happened growing up at East Shore Mennonite Church with Sunday school teachers. It happened with my uncles and my aunts, and, and it happened with my peers. It happened, you know, in, in when I got married. I mean, the biggest spur-on provoker has been my wife. <laughs> it, it, my children, you know, are, are doing it. Can we receive this stuff from our kids? Can we receive it from even when they're little? And I, and, I, and, and I could just go on. There's numerous, numerous examples of it. And I encourage you to think back in your life. Who have been the ones that have, that have stirred you up, that have provoked you in a good way, that have, that have spurred you on towards loving good deeds? And you know, none of us ever move beyond the point where we don't need encouragement. Every single one of us needs encouragement. And so if God is stirring something in your heart, don't that you're to go say or do for somebody because, because this provoking, this stirring up, this spurring on, this encouraging of others is done through our words and our actions. 
And don't ever think, well, they, they don't need it. They won't need the encouragement. I'm not going to say it. Listen to those little voices. And then consider it. Don't just wait for the perfect opportunity. Go and make the perfect opportunity. Plan it out. Get up in the morning and say, God, who can I encourage today? Who can I be a blessing to? Who can I spur on? Who can I provoke? Who can I stir up so that the end result of it is going to be they're, they're going to follow Jesus more faithful and they're going to have more love and good deeds in their life. There shouldn't be one person in this congregation that battles discouragement on their own. Look for the people who are struggling and encourage them. You know, the, think about the word encourage. Encourage. Think about the word discouragement. Well, let's break it down. Discourage. What is dis? Dis is to make fun of something. So if we are discouraged, our courage is being made fun of. And so we can't always break through that on our own. We need the body around us to lift us up, to stir us up, to encourage us, to give us some of their courage when we are lacking it in ourselves. This is radical, life-changing stuff. And it transforms people. Encouragement. Seems so simple, but it is so powerful. Let us consider. So plan it out. Be intentional. And watch the fruit that it will bring, not only in your life when you give it to somebody else, but in the lives of the people that you stir up towards love and good deeds. So the last verse in this passage is verse 25. It says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage each other and all the more as we see the day approaching. Now this is a verse that became very well known through COVID when we couldn't meet together in the way that we normally did for periods of time. And then we were like, oh yeah, we missed the gathering. We missed the gathering. And I want to share uh, something with you about this verse that when I heard this, this really opened it up for me in a new way. And, and if you haven't heard it explained this way before, I trust it'll, it'll bring fresh understanding to you as well. So the focus is on the gathering, right? But let's look at another translation. That's how the... Uh, the NIV says, let us not give up meeting together or gathering together. But the King James Version says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Okay, so, so there's a gathering and there's an assembly. Let me explain the difference between the two. How many of you have ever bought uh, something at the store, say like a, a barbecue that comes in a box, or, or you've been to Ikea, you buy this wonderful piece of furniture, but it's in, a, it's in like... A box or 10 boxes or, or whatever and and what is it required of us to do to to enjoy this wonderful item that we bought we need to assemble it so so before the item is assembled 
all you have is a gathering of the parts. Okay? And, and we don't just want to have a gathering of parts. We want to have parts that are in place and that are assembled. Now, I want to tell you that in my life, I have learned this. I've learned that I am a, an exceptional, I have exceptional skills to assemble things. But where I lack is I have very less than exceptional skills to read the instructions. <laughs> so it has been discerned in our house that when we're putting something together, like an Ikea item, that it is best if my son or my daughter read the instructions and I put the screws in and every part in place. And it works really well. <laughs> so, you know, we have to know our gifts, right? And, and I should have figured this out because when my son was four years old, we were putting Lego together and we were following instructions. And I was pretty sure it should be done this way. And he says, no, dad, it should be done this way. Well, guess who was right? Not me. <laughs> and so, but there is an assembly that needs to happen. And so it's not just a gathering of the parts that we're after as a body, but it's every part fit into place. You know, have you ever got to the end of assembling something and you have a leftover screw or, or maybe a, a shelf or, or some piece that you're just like, oh, something isn't right. And that's what God wants to do in your body here. Not just that we gather together, although the gathering is good, but that you are assembled as a body. Because when there's an assembly that has happened, it's not about just this thing that happens here on a Sunday morning. Because this body goes out into the week and every part is doing the work that they are called to do when they are properly fit into place. And it happens 24-7, seven days a week. And yes, we get to gather on Sunday mornings and celebrate together, but we are assembled every day of the week into the place that God has called us to be with the gifts that he has given us. And then we can encourage each other and build each other up. It's a beautiful picture that is created here. And I call this connection. This is true connection, the way God designed it to be. So we have this new covenant. We have a confidence that comes because of Jesus and what he's done for us. Then we have the cleansing that comes where we're washed clean, whiter than snow. We have a consistency because we're holding firmly to the hope that we profess, not swerving all over the place. We're considering each and every day how we can spur other people on, how we can encourage them and be a blessing in their lives. And that all happens because not only are we connected to Jesus, but we're well connected to each other. Assembled into this body that he has called us to live in. What a beautiful picture. And this, people, is how we live in confidence each and every day.
because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.